I do want to gatekeep feminism. I don't think people okay. who who say like, I don't want people to have access to birth control because I'm a feminist. I'm like, no, you're not. That's no, not you're feminism. Not. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back to Random Fandom. We This is actually part two of our That Wizarding Boarding School series. That Wizarding Boarding School series. <laughs> I feel like by this point, the tagline for the show should be, we can make anything you love problematic. Yeah, that's excellent. That's a great <laughs> tagline. That's so true. We can make anything you love problematic on this show. I'm Britt Kelly a pansexual, non-binary person in the world. I am Stephanie Weaver, your friendly, cis, queer, woman, nerd, ADHD haver with too many hobbies. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know if too many hobbies is a thing, but we both have ADHD, which comes out in different ways, which is why we tend to interrupt each other and talk over each other a lot. I think that's an ADHD trait and also fiddle with things that messes up our audio. So anyway, welcome (laughs) back. This is, as I said, part two, because we we had so much to say about both our, our love of Harry Potter, specifically Harry Potter fandom. So this is part two of that Wizarding Boarding School series, and today we're going to talk about the, what do we want to call it? Do we want to call it downfall? I don't think it's a cancelization because yeah, uh, I think JK is still, she's, she's still making her millions. She's still making the money. So, it's more like a, it's more like an unveiling. Maybe. Yeah, an unveiling of the anti-trans troll that and I think actually anti-LGBTQ troll that Rowling has been all along. And also we always knew she was anti-fat as well. And yep. at least completely uh, willfully blind about racial or ethnic diversity as well. <laughs> if not necessarily yeah. an anti people of color troll she is i think like many white people and certainly white author authors of the time definitely just willfully blind to the total lack of actual diversity in her books while dealing with so-called racism through mudbloods anyway we're going to talk about all the problems with jk that's our question that's our our quarry this episode. So we ended last week with the question, what do we mean by fan? And I think we should revisit that question at the end of today, because I think I, agree. I think that'll be a good episode to return to. So Stephanie, what is your understanding of the, I guess, most recent, very negative fan response to JK Rowling? Yeah, so I, I have a tendency to kind of go on and off social media Mm -hmm. and I think when Rowling started tweeting the things that were the like the first flutterings of the sheet that came off of her troll (laughs) form I I was in an off period of social media so like I didn't even see it firsthand I just kind of saw things yeah and I I can't even remember how I like first felt about it. I think there was a part of me that didn't feel surprised because it felt like a lot of people who were involved with things I loved were also having some 
unveilings at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I was just feeling like cynical about everyone, I think. Yeah. But I, so I, I in preparation for this episode, I was re watching the ContraPoints episode about J.K. Rowling. And for those of you who aren't familiar, ContraPoints is a leftist YouTube channel. Natalie Wynn is a trans woman who was doing a PhD in philosophy and decided to quit while the, the quitting was good. But now she <laughs> makes these like really amazing, I think amazing, thoughtful interrogation. So I was rewatching her episode and remembering some of the tweets, which I remember that a lot of them, like at first glance, didn't seem that bad. But it's when Mm -hmm. you start like unpacking some of the implications Mm -hmm. that the like depth of the bigotry, I guess, Mm -hmm. finally came out. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's been rumblings in the background, I think, for a long time. And there have been earlier rumblings, sort of. So I think it's worthwhile to revisit when J.K. So J.K. Rowling has done a lot where she has sort of released it into the world. I think earlier on, as far as my research has showed, she's been more or less supportive of transformative works. She hasn't, at least in the past, really done any cease and desist she generally has wanted to make sure that if any of those stories were sexually explicit, that children didn't really have access to them in some kind of way. That's sort of been her 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 stance on that. On the other hand, she has done a lot to keep revisiting and expanding the canon as according to J.K. Rowling after the fact in ways that are kind of interesting in that it doesn't show up in the books. So I was like, I remember when she said that Dumbledore was gay. And I, for some reason, I had misremembered that as having been said sooner than it was. I found several articles. Apparently, she said this sometime in 2007. She, people were asking, I guess, about relationships or something. I think they were talking about the epilogue of the final book, which was released that same year. And sort of, I think it was, she was just talking with about the script, I think. And they were like, you know, Dumbledore says something about there was this girl with this beautiful hair and she said no actually Dumbledore is gay yeah and everyone they was were kind going of to like, like <laughs> write Dumbledore into a relationship in one of the movies and... yeah and so then everyone at the time I think generally the response was extremely positive they were like woohoo Rowling has a gay character which I I do want to have a moment where we say listen guys the early 2000s had a dearth of positive LGBTQ representation or any representation anywhere so even yeah. an author saying this main character whose relationships were not really at all concerned with in the books and who isn't out in any way is now gay and I think people were really excited about that. Even when she followed it up with, that's why I had him showing that he really enjoyed muggle knitting patterns, which I thought was an incredibly (laughs) homophobic trait. Yeah. Uh, So I I really want to, okay, I've been thinking a lot about this because I remember when that happened, when she was like, Dumbledore's gay. uh, I had this moment of like, I thought we already knew that. And I think that part of it is, okay, so I was like an English lit major, right? And anyone out there who is considering being an English lit major, I will go ahead and tell you that a big part of what you do is reading between the lines for the gay stuff. 
Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that last book and like people talking about his relationship with Grindelwald and they had Mm -hmm. like excerpts from some of their letters. And dude, it seemed super gay to me. Like, yeah, I, I was I wasn't surprised that she said Dumbledore was gay. I think I was more surprised that people were surprised. Yeah. But the problem is that we've then talked about Dumbledore as as though he was an out gay man in the narrative when he wasn't. At best, he was a very closeted gay man. Yeah. And there's no real I remember one of the the like commentaries I read at the time was talking about like the problem isn't that Dumbledore is gay. The problem is that there has been no suggestion in the con in the text of the books at all that like gay characters exist in this world. Yeah, exactly. And this writer was saying that like it, it would have been really easy to mention two guys going together to the Yule Ball or something like that to suggest that mm-hmm. gay characters were possible in this world. And yeah, like that makes a lot of sense to me, this idea that like it, it's such a huge retcon to make Dumbledore the celebratory figure of mm-hmm. LGBTQness when at best he was living a closeted life in yeah. an unaccepting society. Yeah, extremely closeted, certainly. But also just like, it also seems weird to me because the focus in the books that we we are being led through a narrative through Harry's perspective. Mm -hmm. We are invited much more deeply into the the main characters in the book who are all teenagers. And then to have one character who is deeply closeted and gay, but also whose life as a gay man has no bearing on anything else in the story and shouldn't is really a cop out, I think, personally. It's like, okay, yeah, Dumbledore is gay. Great. Where are all the other gay people? Maybe they'll come out in Wizarding College, which doesn't exist canonically. Yeah. (laughs) And also the fact that like if Dumbledore is gay and he was in a relationship with Grindelwald, then you've made 50% of your gay characters villains. Yeah, exactly. And also like, hey, what about Charlie? We never hear about Charlie having any any girlfriends any wives he's got long hair and and he's cool hanging Um, out with dragons i've always had canoned Ginny as pansexual nice (laughs) not that there's necessarily any support for that in the book yeah but it's a world where queer people just don't exist and then suddenly you have this one queer person and i think again at the time any representation was good representation but upon reflection it's kind of like wow so you turn this the oldest man on earth who stands apart (laughs) in all these other ways who also is clearly not dating and let's just talk about the weirdness of teachers at boarding school anyway living at the school and not having any partners as far as we know and sure we're hearing it from harry's perspective but presumably you would know if a teacher was married right like i don't know it's very strange right and again yeah i never thought about how weird it is that none of the faculty are married yeah, they're just living all year long in this castle. Part of the year, it's just empty and quiet. We don't know if they go on holiday, which f- fair, I guess. But like, it's really, really that- concerning. Like, what are they doing? They're spending their whole day way more time than they really should be expected to spend on dealing yeah. with students. <laughs> I have they have no lives of I've, their own. They have nothing. I think I've always had Canon McGonagall as having a, a woman partner and they have a long distance relationship because her partner also has some kind of very demanding career that she's very committed to yeah. and then they go on these like really decadent holidays together and I love that. 
in the meantime, write these like super long, intimate letters to each other. That's, I think it's easy to yeah. headcanon McGonagall as queer. I also feel like McGonagall, because she's so buttoned up in the books and the movies, mm-hmm. it's easy to see her as like the typical like Victorian lesbian figure writing very torrid love letters to yep. another woman, but with yep. whom she will never have sex because that's bad. <laughs> and if they ever have sex, they will both die horribly for some reason. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Maybe the little death. Uh-huh. Ooh. Um, that's part of why I had such a strong reaction when you mentioned like the Dumbledore McGonagall pairing, because yeah. like I never think about Dumbledore's sexuality, to be honest. But McGonagall, like, I have plans for her, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Really nice, uh, long, long holidays in Spain kind of plans. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) McGonagall deserves a beach vacation in southern Spain. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah, 2007, when, when Rowling comes out and says that Dumbledore is gay is kind of this first huge moment of her coming out and sort of adding to the canon after the fact. She There's a lot of small level stuff that goes on over time on her website. We start to learn about characters' birthdays and stuff from there, I think. But the other really big one that happened was in 2014 when Rowling decided to say that Harry, or sorry, I think, well, Hermione and Ron were not meant to be together. She says that they, she kind of regrets that pairing and, and she sort of feels like Harry and Hermione made more sense and that did not go over as well with fans from what I remember it was also very strange she I, she kind of referred to it as I think she put it as like a wish fulfillment and I think as we were talking about last episode I, you know I personally do like a Ron and Hermione pairing from a certain perspective but we also talked about how like Ron they don't really seem to share any interests aside from helping Harry like they they don't they don't seem to bond on that deeper level in the way yeah. that they really need to. And as you pointed out, it's entirely possible to imagine Hermione getting bored with Ron, especially since it seems like Hermione is not interested in playing wizarding chess. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's this history established already of J.K. Rowling. Basically, I feel like retaking ownership over the canon. Mm-hmm. And even when we have Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which was basically official fan fiction and uh, she made it official. And then we have a Black Hermione coming into being, which I actually thought was a really positive thing, but I don't know that I want to thank Rowling for that necessarily. Again, I think she comes back again and again to sort of reassert her ownership over something that I think really has been taken over and and improved in a number of ways by fans, which is what we were talking about last week. And I think that has, you know, after, aside from her saying, hey, Dumbledore is gay, I think a lot of the other things that she said, and particularly that 2014 statement has really rubbed fans the wrong way. Because it's sort of like, oh, you have all these ideas, but remember, I still own this which is sort of a weird way, I think, to interact with your fans in the first place. So let's talk about, though, what happened six years after that statement. Uh, We'll get into some of the history here. And I'm actually going to share a screen with you. And I'm going to have what we're going to do is we're going to I'm going to show you a tweet and you're going to read it and respond to it. And then we'll talk about it a little bit. So can I can I read it in a silly voice? You can absolutely. I think that would probably be for the best. (laughs) I'm going to do some silly voices. I've been working on my since I've been DMing. I've been working on my silly voice 
choices for characters. So this I, will be, I love this. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay. So I, I found an article by Glamour or in Glamour by, by Abby Gardner that basically talks about the full breakdown of JK Rowling's transgender comments and the controversy which I found a really helpful timeline because I I could have gone through Twitter by myself, but Twitter is notoriously difficult to sort of reverse engineer in that way. Yeah. But also I just didn't want to look at JK Rowling's Twitter timeline for that long. So it turns out that the first tweet that really caused an issue was on June 6th, 2020. So if you feel like you weren't paying attention to social media and missed this. It's because we were in the midst of a lockdown for a pandemic. And I also personally was not engaging super intensely with Twitter because it became a space that felt really, really bad for my mental health. And so I was spending all of my time watching fun TV shows, drinking box wine, going out for runs to um, Lizzo and also listening to a ton of podcasts. So I was not on Twitter. I was not paying attention to any of this. So the first tweet was on June 6, 2020, where Rowling retweets and quote tweets an an op-ed piece that was discussing, quote, people who menstruate. So I'm going to go ahead and share the screen with you. Can you see that? I feel like it's kind of small. Yes, I can. Okay, so yeah. Yes, I can. All right. People who menstruate. I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Wumbin, wimpun, wumud, opinion. Creating a more equal post-COVID-19 world for people who menstruate. <laughs> I love the voice. And I Thanks. I think from now on, that's just how JK Rowling sounds to me. Can you describe the, the picture? I sure can. So the picture we have here, there's a, a group of Black people. They're sitting in a circle in, it looks like a yard or a grassy area. And there is a Black woman in a polka dotted dress. And she has some kind of pamphlet, it looks like she's holding out. And I can't mm. I see pictures of bodies on it um, and and she's showing the people in the circle. So I I would interpret this as some kind of like health education going on or she's providing some kind of health information to Mm -hmm. these people who are gathered here. Yeah. So it it talks a little bit um, underneath it. It has a little information about the article uh, talking about what are the implications of COVID-19 on global menstrual health and hygiene. And so it it looks like it's sort of like an educational pamphlet about, I would guess, kind of just the different phases that women go through in their lives or people with uteruses, right? To to put it more Mm -hmm. generally, that could go through their lives if, if they are not on hormone therapy. So that's that's I think that's basically what it is is kind of just basically tell, telling this group how these kinds of things work and I, I you know that's that's the most I can take from it I can say I didn't look at the original because I wasn't as interested in in Rowling's response so right how do you feel about Rowling's response here so I I do remember this tweet and there was actually there was a tweet before this that happened oh, okay. um, that was a little <laughs> bit more coded but I do remember this tweet and I remember feeling like this is just so petty yeah it just feels really petty and this like fake dumbness about it it is really annoying (laughs) yeah yeah it's like do you really need to not know what the word woman is do you have to make up other words right and it's on the surface 
I mean, kind of silly, right? Uh, especially the the made up word she comes up with sounds silly. Yep. Similar to any other kind of wordplay maybe she's done in her writing in the past. I was about to say, it's almost like she's uh, been a professional maker-upper of silly-sounding things. That probably is on her CV somewhere. Yeah, I. it's just sort of weird, but then you, you think about it and you're like, well, people who menstruate is just more inclusive because right. she's definitely like, on the surface, it seems silly. I'm sure a lot of people who want to support Rowling in response to this tweet would say something like, come on, like, listen, most people understand people with uteruses as women. And it's like, well, actually, there's plenty of women who don't have uteruses, whether they identify as cis or not. There's mm-hmm. non-binary people, there's trans folks, there's people with uteruses who are not women. And, and Yeah, and there's also array. the fact that, right, like even people who are cis women don't menstruate their whole lives. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's just a very like problematically coded dog whistle, basically, I think. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I think at this stage, it's it feels like there's help for her. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> like yeah. maybe she's just unaware. And if she learns how damaging this is to trans people and non-binary folks and potentially even intersex folks, maybe she'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, I was being thoughtless, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, in in June of 2020, there was time for her to learn. And I think people probably assumed that she would, but she didn't. She doubles down. So she followed that with a tweet that talks about sex being real. And if there's no sex, there's no same sex attraction, etc. I'm actually going to skip that one because obviously that one is really sort of weird, but I am going to go down to this one. So her doubling down starts with a tweet where she says, hey, by the way, sex is real, but she continues to double down. So Stephanie, if you could read this tweet here that I'm circling with my cursor. Okay. I respect every trans person's right to live in to live any way that feels authentic and comfortable to them. I'd march with you if you were discriminated against on the basis of being trans. At the same time, my life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it's hateful to say so. How do you feel about yeah, that? Tweet? No shit, Joanne. Like <laughs> um the really troubling thing about this is that if if you were being discriminated against like have you been living under a rock yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's so bizarre to me it's like obviously there's a long and very searchable accessible history of trans people being hugely discriminated against and not just like whatever low level, ah, you're a trans person, boo, discrimination, yeah. like lives at stake at, you know, victims of violence at stake, right? So first of all, this, that's just... This would have been around the same time that like the, the Trump administration was rolling back anti-discrimination policies yeah. against trans people. Like it would have been very visible Mm-hmm. Yeah. of the way in which trans people were being discriminated against. Yeah, right. We're, we're getting a ramping up across the board particularly through, I, I would argue, country, Western countries that at once, at, at one point had thought themselves to be quite progressive. And um, yep. <laughs> in this time period, were showing themselves to be extremely not. And Brexit 
was actually finally, in, not finally, I don't want to say finally as if I was um, supportive of Brexit, but Brexit is kind yeah. of in full swing. You've got Boris Johnson at the lead here going to having parties in the midst of COVID kind of doing his <laughs> doing his whole Boris Johnson thing. doing his whole Bojo thing. Bojo. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you get this and it's like Rowling, that is not a good faith argument. It's not a good faith statement. People are clearly trans people are discriminated against for being trans. And then you go and you do it. You do it. You do the thing that you said you would march with someone for by saying Mm -hmm. my life has been shaped by being a female i don't believe it's hateful to say so but that's not what you've said what you're saying here and what you're implying is that if you're trans you're not female especially if you're a trans woman you're not Mm -hmm. female you're not really a woman you have had all the privilege in the world and that means you have no similar experiences again despite the fact that lots of trans women have experienced gender-based violence and sexism based on being women along with the additional violence against trans folks and i'm sorry but being raised as the wrong gender your whole life is not privilege and it doesn't mean you are being you know you're being yeah. raised as as a guy and you decide to become a, a woman or whatever like that's not the experience for people the, and so the other thing that's really weird here is her saying like at the same time my life has been shaped by being female like trans people their lives aren't shaped by biology <laughs> or like gender the, or, or gender yeah exclusion. Right. yeah yeah it's, it is completely bizarre and i think again it's one of those like uh, you know, all right, like maybe there's still room to change here, but there's definitely some glaring red flags underneath all of this that are just like, I don't believe that trans women are women. Yeah. Right. That seems to be the case for her. And, you know, then she kind of continues to support people who have been shown and we won't cover all of them to be completely anti-trans, but she's like, well, no, I, I support them because they're, they're being targeted by trans activists on Twitter and they're piling on. And I think we should talk about pile on and mob mentality on Twitter, Mm -hmm. but not yet. So then we get some different responses uh from different actors we get some apparently i didn't realize there was a whole to do with stephen king but then again so you know in july the next month she continues to double down so we'll we'll skip the mental health tweet but what i'm really interested in here is this tweet that she tweeted out of a long it it appears this is the fourth tweet out of 11 tweets a really long thread of her response to someone who argued that she didn't think people should take medicine or something for depression. And she got really enraged about this and had to keep responding. But I am very much concerned about two tweets in that. So here's one that was on July 5th, 2020. It looks like uh, whoever was looking at this tweet, it was 5.35 a.m. for them. I don't think uh, J.K. Rowling Mm -hmm. was posting that at 5.35. So if you could read this tweet here. Many health professionals are concerned that young people struggling with their mental health are being shunted towards hormones and surgery when this may not be in their best interests. Uh. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Stephanie? Uh, okay, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna respond as I would when I was a teacher of writing. Ooh, I like uh, this. 
Give us okay, the diplomatic so teacher all, response. <laughs> um, Joanne, you say many health professionals. Can you give some examples or maybe some sources here of exactly who these health professionals are? Also, you talk here about hormones, but hormones is really a broad thing. For instance, a young woman who is having trouble with her menstrual cycle might be prescribed birth control pills to help with that, which is technically a hormone therapy. (laughs) Also, like who is doing this shunting exactly when we like they're being shunted, but by who? There's just there's a lot of unexplained and unsupported stuff here. Yeah, Uh, it's it's very, very confounding. First of all, when you talk to trans folks, getting hormone replacement therapy, even just getting that started is really difficult. It's a huge thing. It takes years of appointments. You have to go through extensive therapy. There's so many things that you have to do to prove that you really are need this as a life-saving therapy, much of which is proving that in fact you are you need you are the gender that you say you are, basically. And yeah. that's months and often years, particularly when it comes to young people. Hormones are not easy to get and surgery is even harder. This is just uh, this is just basic facts, right? About trans life. Getting access to hormones takes a long time. Getting access to surgery takes even longer. There's also multiple surgeries involved. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. You have to find specialists who will do it. You have to basically pass their tests. Or are you trans enough to receive the surgeries that you're asking for? It's really flippant to suggest that there is any gender clinic anywhere that is forcing people to hormones and surgery to transition rather than giving them mental health. It suggests that like, well, we'll just give you some physical stuff instead of sending you to a therapist, completely ignoring the fact that every single person who's going through gender dysphoria therapies is seeing a counselor, seeing a psychologist that whole time. They have a team of doctors that they're working with. Well, one of the things that I find really troubling about this is, that, okay, so th- there's a recent case, I, well, I say recent, it happened in February. You, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard about this. A woman working at a pediatric transgender center mm-hmm. in St. Louis mm-hmm. had been tracking patient data personally for patients that she did not believe were actually trans. Oh, good. And then she <laughs> came forward. With all of this, like, data about patients to say that, like, these young people are being given treatments it, willy-nilly. Based, that's always the argument, right? Like, yeah. oh, we're just giving people these treatments willy-nilly. And the argument, part of the argument that she makes is, like, these are people who are experiencing mental health problems. Like, they're depressed. They have anxiety. They have all of these things. Mm-hmm. And rather than thinking like, well, maybe they're depressed and have anxiety because of gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. It's like, if we treated that stuff, then they wouldn't want to, they wouldn't be transgender or something like, yeah, like feeling the desire to undergo transition in, in some people's minds is only the product of depression. Or somehow so friends. <laughs> Yeah, like you, can, you can somehow be convinced of being trans and wanting to start trans therapy because of peer pressure somehow. Like two things. One, 
as a non-binary person, I, I do know that, you know, for me, this is a relatively recent discovery in part because there's no language that I had before that to describe mm-hmm. what the fuck I actually felt about gender, which was extremely ambivalent for a very, very long time and also just confused most of my life. But And so I know that a lot of people, for many people, it seems very sudden for people to be like, I'm non-binary. And, they, it's, and mm-hmm. so, yes, the, the rise... There is a rise in people identifying as non-binary, but a couple of things about that in and of itself is one, who cares if a 16 year old is like, I think I might be non-binary. And then, you know, years later is like, ah, you know, no, I guess I'm not. I don't know. Right. Like who gives a shit? I don't care. Right. Like this idea that <gasps> they did, they identify as genderless in some way or, or across gender boundaries. And that's going to inherently hurt them is yeah. fucking crazy to me. But also this the sense of like the majority of people who are seeking out gender dysphoria treatment and transition, there's years and years of dysphoria that are being accounted for and worked through. Mm-hmm. And the better argument is to say like forcing someone, so you're worried, the argument goes, we shouldn't give these, these treatments because then it will force someone into a different body and then they'll realize that they didn't want that and they'll have gender dysphoria, which is a really backwards way of looking at it because it's like, actually, they're already suffering extreme gender dysphoria and forcing them to go through puberty with the hormones mm-hmm. that are being made by their body is having the exact effect you're worried it's going to have. And also, as as we've talked about before on this show, we, we mentioned, you mentioned this in, in our first episode, the, the rate of regret for transition is 1%, which is like the lowest percentage of any surgery regret. <laughs> yeah. It's like knee replacement has a 20%, re- you know, regret rate. <laughs> it's just- yeah. Let's ban knee surgeries. That's what I And say. a significant number of people who do experience regret, they they don't regret the surgery. What they regret is the like peer pressure they get post-transition. It's the fact that their families or their friends or their communities don't accept them. Right. And that that is not on like that isn't a it's a totally separate thing from like actually regretting having surgery yeah and we don't know yet right what mm-hmm. what the transition numbers are and we don't know specifically the number of people who detransition and then retransition because that is mm-hmm. also a thing that happens the stories that we tend to get so far are from people who supposedly detransitioned or did detransition, but somehow became close to really nasty anti-trans, mm-hmm. basically lobbyist groups, which is really problematic in a number of ways. Anyway, yeah. so we have this we have this tweet. Yep. That um, that she had. She follows that up then with this tweet. So if you could read this tweet here. Oh no! Oh, not this one. <laughs> oh god okay here we go many including myself myself included believe we are watching a new kind of conversion therapy for young gay people who are being set on a lifelong path of medicalization that may result in the loss of their fertility and or full sexual function (laughs) okay so 
I need a hug. <laughs> I okay. I wish extended yeah, extended virtual hug. hug. Okay, virtual hug. So one of the things that is most upsetting to me about this tweet is uh, so I mentioned this video essay in the last episode mm-hmm. that specifically talks about the neoliberal worldview of Harry Potter, and I looked it up. Uh, the YouTuber's name is Sean, just mm-hmm. Sean S H. A-U-N. The mm-hmm. essay is called Harry Potter. It's an hour and 45 minutes. It's okay. very good. But one of the things he talks about is he kind of traces through Rowling's unveiling as this horrible troll thing, some of the people and group that, sh- that she's been connected with. Mm-hmm. And some of those groups are the same groups that are fighting access to abortion in the U.S., Mm-hmm. And this like obsession with fertility in these groups is always mind boggling to me. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you so obsessed with whether or not other people have children? White and, like, supremacy. That's why. Yeah, that's why. You're right. <laughs> You're right. That's totally it. But yeah, that's really as again, cis woman, so not interested in children at all. Mm-hmm. Like if I lost my fertility, I'd I'd be pretty okay with it. So this idea of like obsessing over other people's fertility is very strange to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, so it's sort of too. Yeah. It's, it's worrying about fertility, mm-hmm. which is like, there's a lot of really problematic things underlying that, right? Like that people can't have real children if it's not biologically theirs, right. that people can't be parents of children who are not biologically theirs. But then, you know, and it's followed with full sexual function, which yeah. like, that's really complicated on so many counts, first of all. Yeah. And second of all, if you did any type of research into surgery in particular and the range of things that people ask for or need based on their own wishes, right? Mm-hmm. You would find that like, that's just not true, right? Like there's yeah. a lot that can be and is done in different types of surgeries to help retain sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that can now be done to uh, help sort of make things sort of work uh, perfectly fine, right? Basically, right? according to your right. needs. And, you know, a lot of the choices that people are presented with are sort of like, well, what kind of functionality do you want based on like, what are your needs for this? Yeah. Do- what are, what are your priorities? Right. What are do, your needs? Do you want to be penetrated do you want to be able to do this or that and i you know there's there's a whole range of options that are possible that people choose from based on what they know they want from their sexual engagement with others and so it's yeah. like to assume that you just lose your whatever full sexual function means which i i I'm going to guess that because that wording is so close to fertility that Rowling doesn't give a shit about people having orgasms. (laughs) No. You know, or enjoying sex if that's a thing they're into in the first place, right? Maybe they don't, maybe they're asexual. Maybe they don't want sex at all. Right. The other thing that kills me about this is when you're talking about like, oh, they might lose full sexual function. You know what else can cause you to lose full sexual function? Circumcision. So if you're going to like go after this kind of stuff, (laughs) you got to go after the circumcisers too. Yeah. Or just, I don't know. I think the the thing (laughs) that she's really saying here, and this, I think this is really common for a lot of people who at this point willfully do not do any research Mm -hmm. because 
it doesn't align with their views on this is that right. transition related healthcare people are concerned about hormones or but less so than they are about surgery yeah so transition related surgeries people see as mutilation full stop that yeah. that's the story that they want to say and I, I was thinking actually this is such a weird time to bring this up but I we in the first episode I talked about how I'd been watching Flight of the Concords after we recorded that episode I was really wanting some more Reese Darby mm-hmm. <laughs> content so I watched the episode of sort of the the revamped X-Files where he plays this queer human right I love that one and I love it. I rewatched it and two things. One, well, the anti-fatness in that episode is really disappointing. So yeah, you, you got to deal with that. Two, it's really transphobic. There's this whole discussion between Reese Darby's character, the werehuman and Mulder in a, in a graveyard where they're talking about how people can, can get surgeries to change because their, their body doesn't align with who they are. And they talk about trans people and at first, it seems to be like a nice representation of transness, like, yeah, there's trans people in the world and there's things that we can do to help trans folks. And then Mulder says, but, you know, they 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 chop your genitals off and they both go, I guess I won't be doing that. And I was just sitting and staring at the TV like they don't chop your genitals off. What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, I feel like what um, happens. I feel like this exchange was a perfect demonstration of our tagline because I'm like, I love that episode. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have rewatched yeah, well, it. <laughs> thing that I I just maybe this is just me. Because I am an intensely curious person and will look up, like, the whole idea that you're going to, like, say things like this without, like, reading about it or, like, yeah, I don't know, like, I watched a whole video one time about, I can't even, I don't even remember the proper term, but when they, when they take someone who has a penis and transition that into a vulva and vagina, and is like like a, a vaginoplasty, at least one of yes, those is vaginoplasty. a vaginoplasty. There's there's yes. a there's a bunch of different things again that you can choose from to do. Right. Yeah. And like it was fascinating to think about like, you know, the available materials and like what the priorities are afterwards and the mm-hmm. different choices that the surgeon and patient can make. And I found it incredibly informative. And I just have I have a hard time, I think, with people who like are just like, I don't want to know about that. Like why, Why not? not? It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've I've definitely watched a lot and read a lot about the different surgeries that one can undergo, including top surgery, mm-hmm. which people tend to forget about. Mm-hmm. In in one part, just because of like I was curious, you know, particularly about yeah. phalloplasty. I got really curious. I was like, okay, what is what is the the state of mm-hmm. the surgeries now? Right. What what is kind of the, the new stuff. And I learned that like, you know, you can, it's a, it's a long series of surgeries where for most sensation, you're often get, getting a skin graft from your forearm because it, it, it retains quite a bit of sensation. So you do a skin graft at some point, often some of the surgery is especially, so especially if you want to be able to like pee standing up and have an erection, you often have to do urethra lengthening. So that happens first. 
And then you do a phalloplasty with the skin graft that you've taken, which is another surgery. I don't, I don't think the surgeries happen. Well, they probably happen close together. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, you, you get like skin from your forearm and then so like skin from your back goes on your forearm and all, all this stuff. Right. And then there can be a later surgery after the phalloplasty and the urethral length lengthening um, that basically just puts like a, a prosthetic in that can allow you to experience erection. So there's mm-hmm. a whole set of of surgeries that whatever you want to think of as sexual function, I just found it really fascinating. It was like, yeah. also, I was like, especially with phalloplasty and, and like functional erections, I'm like, listen, if there's something that this country or any country is not is is most concerned with, it's it's people's penises and whether they yeah. work the way we expect them to. Yeah, but yeah, it's 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 really as we've both pointed out, it's something you can look up and learn about. It's it's there's a whole area of choice for people based on what they need when it comes to surgery. And so to kind of just come to the conclusion that like, because it's not a surgery I would be interested in, I think it's mutilation. Well, and the fact that like Rowling has claimed to have trans friends. Yeah. And like, (laughs) I I, I under, right. I understand that you shouldn't just go up to like the trans people, you know, and be like, Hey, tell me about your genitals. Like that's impolite. But no, that's a fucking weird thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. But if you if you actually have those relationships with people and are, you know, you can mention like, hey, I was reading this thing that was claiming that trans people experience this. Mm-hmm. what would you think about that and like you're not at, like you don't just like ask them to stand in for all trans people but like right. if you actually know trans people you can ask for their opinions or ask them how does this like mesh with your experience or like what are your thoughts on that and it just seems like she just doesn't do that yeah and like yeah you don't want to just talk to your trans friends about their genitals that's weird the the hyper fixation on genitalia in trans it's, discussions yeah, is just as so disgusting weird. as the hyper fixation on genitalia and and different sexual positions or activities that a lot of anti-queer straight people seem to have like they're just obsessed with how other people are having sex and I'm like I don't know sounds like you were the one with the problem in the fixation right. here. that's all I gotta say so yeah that's pretty pretty problematic and then a lot of the rest of these are just misinformation yeah um so we won't we won't cover any more of these and then it talks about people who've defended her so yeah that's kind of the timeline is is most of it was starting in 2020 and basically since then rowling has not desisted in any kind of way on on this she's just continuing to double and triple down but in let's see I've got a response to it here. I can't remember. I think it must have been in 2020. Rowling wrote a long post on her website. Yeah, it must have been in 2020 in response to getting death threats. And again, I want to come back around and talk about Twitter as a space in general, because I Mm -hmm. think it's kind of important. But, But J.K. Rowling wrote a response, a long, again, a long response to... Uh, basically trans activists being like uh dude no and i have it linked i don't think anyone should read it there's lots of people who have read it so i don't recommend that but i i did some reading for you stephanie and i'm gonna share some of the things that she says there yeah i read it for you but i'm gonna force you to read some of these so all of these have been also to some of the things we're going to talk about today they have been thoroughly addressed 
by a feminist LGBT activist and trans woman, Katie Montgomery, on her Medium blog. She's done a really good job at responding to some of these things in depth. So I will include that, a link to that in the show notes. But for now, we're going to get into basically rallying kind of, I guess I would say, falling apart in this post and really trying hard to support things that are really insupportable. So we'll start with this first one here that I found really, really interesting. All right. And I sent it to you. I feel like, I feel like we're getting to a point where I need to break out my Dell Gribble voice because (laughs) yeah, try a new one. Thanks. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) But accusations of turfery have been sufficient to intimidate many people, institutions and organizations I once admired who are cowering before the tactics of the playground. They'll call us transphobic. They'll say I hate trans people. What next? They'll say you've got fleas. Speaking as a biological woman, a lot of people in positions of power really need to grow a pair, which is doubtless literally possible according to the kind of people who argue that clownfish prove humans aren't a dimorphic species. What the what did I just read? <laughs> this is near the opening um, of her post. Uh okay. Yeah. I, break it down a little bit for us. What, okay, what are things that so, are sticking out to you here? Uh okay. Accusations of turfery have silenced people because they're worried about getting called transphobic. Yeah. Uh and then there is a thing about fleas speaking as a biological woman a lot of people in positions of that's just bad writing you can't (laughs) what is that like uh uh, i forgot what that i don't remember the grammar term but like if you're gonna say speaking as a biological woman the next thing has to be i blah 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 or else you're saying that a lot of people in power are speaking as biological women who really need to grow a pair i think her point is that because she's a biological woman she doesn't have testicles but that being strong means you have testicles and therefore people in power need to grow some testicles and then she links it to pseudoscience (laughs) or what she sees as pseudoscience it's a misrepresentation people i am so confused Okay, okay, JK. JK. Yeah, she seems to be um, arguing that trans folks are like, well, because clownfish can can change sex as needed based on the population size, that means that dimorphic gender dimorphism or sexual dimorphism isn't a thing in humans. And it's like, no one said that, JK Rowling. No one has said yeah. that. <laughs> I feel like anyone... Well, I won't say that. A lot of the people that I have read who are biologists and interested in questions of gender and sex and biology Mm -hmm. would tell you that we have known for a long time that humans aren't neatly divided into groups with two X chromosomes that are all the same and groups with XY chromosomes that are all the same. There has always been weird stuff in what calling it weird is um, there's always been things outside of that breakdown. Yeah. A range of things that fit within that. There's a range of things that don't fit within those two neat categories. We have known that for a long time. Yeah. And I think anyone, anyone who might have brought in like, here's some different options in biology. The argument isn't that humans are like clownfish. The argument is that the gender binary, as we have come to understand it or been taught it, is not 
a biological and natural imperative. Yes. That's the only point of these things. Actual representation of like the variety of humanness. Or the variety of of animals either, right? Yeah, totally. So it's just there to be like, listen, we've got a lot of stuff in the world and some of this is in other animals. And then here's even the variety among humans. So yeah. Yeah. Also, as soon as you have somebody who's like, I don't want to say that because they'll say I'm transphobic. Well, if as soon as you're saying that to yourself, maybe you need to like take a step back and right. ask yourself, wait, yeah, is this maybe transphobic? Exactly. Yeah. This is a this is a total meltdown. Like it, it is. It is. So I think I'm actually going to skip one of these so we can get to our questions. But here's one that I found really, really troubling given some recent rhetoric about that's moved from queer people in general to specifically trans people and grooming. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) The second reason is that I'm an ex-teacher and the founder of a children's charity, which gives me an interest in both education and safeguarding. Like many others, I have deep concerns about the effect the trans rights movement is having on both, on education and safeguarding. Yeah, I wasn't sure quite what she meant. What what do you think she means there? Because she doesn't really explain that necessarily in depth. Oh, good Lord. Um, I feel like, first of all, what reading this is um, making me realize is that any any redeeming quality of the Harry Potter series should probably be credited to her editor instead of her as a writer, because like, <laughs> this is painful. This is painful, JK. Um, <laughs> I... I- Take it that she didn't do a lot of editing uh, of this. Yeah, this uh, is not. Yeah, it was uh, okay, definitely so a rant. I, <laughs> I get. Okay, I get what she means by like concerns about trans rights, the trans rights movement on education, because there is so much concern about like, oh, they're going to talk about trans stuff in school, and that's grooming them. Never mind the fact that like you know Harry kissing Cho Chang is grooming kids into heterosexuality, but you know, yeah, it, by the same talk about by that. the same logic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but I have like this interest in safe. Here's the thing is like safeguarding what? Like, are you just talking about like protecting children? I honestly, as soon as it's like safeguarding our way of life. Yeah, I think it's both. So she, this is very coded. Uh, Other places she talks about how one thing she's extremely concerned with is that now people can just say, I'm a trans woman. And then they can use women's spaces like bathrooms or Mm -hmm. locker rooms. She's extremely afraid of that, which is, again, it's a dog whistle. It's sort of like assuming that men are going to say, hey, I'm a woman. And then people will be like, great, use that restroom. And then they're going to go in the restroom and they're going to rape little girls. That's what she's basically arguing, right? Even though, first of all, new laws that are coming up to ban people from using, you know, sex designated spaces unless they can prove their gender in some kind of way or fashion was not a law and was not a problem. Trans people have been using, particularly if you think about trans women have been using so-called women's spaces forever and it has never been an issue. So it's making an, it's imagining an issue that doesn't exist as if trans women 
women aren't women. Again, the argument is that trans women are not women and they are also pedophiles and sexual predators. Second, that this will somehow give men an opportunity an even more opportunity of using restrooms like uh, uh, like first of all cis men who are predators have gone into restrooms and locker rooms and all kinds of spaces yeah yeah without saying i'm trans first that has never been the issue with that and second of all <laughs> trans people are at the highest risk of being or trans people, non-binary people, people who are gender non-conforming, all a much higher risk of people being like, you don't look like you should be using this bathroom and being on the end of violence. Yeah. Than the the situation she imagines. So it's definitely twofold here. I think what you said, safeguarding our way of life is definitely part of it. There's some dog whistling here about like, apparently she loves queer people, but doesn't want kids to learn about it in school Yeah, because it might turn trans, which is something we're going to come to in a minute, actually. And second of all, assuming that trans people being able to use, go about the world the way they always have is inherently harmful and dangerous to children and cis people. Yep. So I love having you read these though, because like I immediately was like, here's the dog whistling. I've also read it in context. And it's funny yeah. to see you be like, what is he even, what, what is she even yeah. saying here? This is just a bad oh, yeah. sentence. <laughs> it's so much, it's so much. Do- well, and I actually, you know what, that's the thing about so many of these arguments is that when you take out these little bits and pieces like this, you, it makes it so much more clear how little of this actually hangs together. Yeah. Like as an argument. <laughs> You're like, um, what are you saying here, Rowling? I, I'm not following. Right. What do you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get to our, our questions here. I've got a few. Yes. So we've, we've looked at what she said in many different ways. We've probably given way more airtime to this than we needed to, but I thought it was important to sort of see like what what was actually part of things that she was saying. So I think the first question I have is, do we think Rowling knows what it means when we talk about sex versus gender? Do we think she's aware of that ongoing discussion or not? I'm going to, I'm going to guess, I'm maybe going to like out myself a little bit here. The like sex versus gender discussion was something that I used to feel like I had a good handle on. Yeah. And I think in the last few years, um, my own, what I thought I had is like a pretty pat idea of like, oh, this is sex. And this is like, sex is biological, gender is uh, cultural, like mm-hmm. a, as a kind of like basic delineation. But even that in the last few years, again, especially as I have like read more about the biology of sex and the like, mm-hmm. all the stuff we know, I'm not even, I'm not even necessarily comfortable myself saying that I understand sex versus gender and I'm kind of Mm -hmm. okay with that like yeah I'm okay with um, continuing to like have to having to like think through these things right but I think that having discussions about it and thinking through it also requires us to be able to talk about things like genitals in uh adult ways and right let's face it most most Americans are not ready for that. <laughs> they really aren't. They really, um, they, they can't even, yeah, they, they have yeah. a hard time with it for sure. Yeah. 
I mean, I think I have to agree. So I feel like, you know, some of I'm, I'm still working through that as well. So like, for me, I think the longest time, my understanding was that you had sort of biological sex, which on a broad scale breaks down into what we tend to refer to as female and male. And that usually aligns with unless you're intersex, unless someone is intersex, that usually aligns with certain types of hormones and genitalia. And I, and again, I think on the broad scale, that's still true. And I think a lot of trans people would also say like, yeah, sex obviously exists and sexual dimorphism exists. Like, and a lot of our mm-hmm. dysphoria comes out of these sex- secondary sex characteristics, right? Like that's yeah. a thing that exists yeah. in the world. But I think, well, first of all, when you look at the use of the term gender, it was not used as a euphemism for sex before, I want to say like the 60s right? Like mm-hmm. the use of that to refer to sexual binaries and sexual dimorphism came out of, I think, a lot of actually feminist discussions about like, hold on, like, let's talk a little bit about like what it means, what are what these gender roles are, do they align with, let's say, having a uterus or a vulva or whatever. And somehow in that, in that phase of understanding like what gender was aside from just kind of biological determinism gave rise to the term that the idea of gender as a cultural idea and somehow then became kind of like a euphemism as a polite way to say sex and that's kind of where we're at now so people have a really hard time disentangling when they're talking about genitals and biological and hormones and whatever else and when they're talking about clothing and activities and identities and all of the stuff that that gets put under gender in ways mm-hmm. that like have no relationship at all to mm-hmm. sexual dimorphism right mm-hmm. along with you I, i'm beginning to learn the more i read about about this and the more that I, I read from trans folks, the more it's like, well, okay, I, that I that I trouble it. I'm, I'm like, I'm with you. I think it's good to have it be troubled, you know? And there's also like, the more I think about which terms to use, sometimes it mm-hmm. really gets, it gets difficult because the language doesn't, our language doesn't currently have enough terms to, to be accurate. And so like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of circumlocutions and explanations that have to come along with talking about these things now that I didn't think about as much in the past, but now it's like, okay, well, how do I talk about this accurately? And it's difficult. And I, I don't think that's mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing. What I would say is that like, yeah, sexual characteristics exist. People have genitals, they have hormones. On the broad scale, because humans do have sexual dimorphism, you're going to find kind of like a bell curve probably, you know, where you have one people on one side, a set of people who broadly share, you know, similar looking genitals, similar hormonal effects. And on the other hand, you're going to have some other set of that, right? That that's like on a very broad scale, we can read that and be fairly certain that's the case. That's typically what happens. But there, I think there is still, you know, there's a huge kind of separation that we need to remember in our minds that like whatever is going on with your genitals and your hormones and whatever else does not therefore decide what you're going to like, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do with your hair, what what you're going to be interested in doing. Yeah. And so I think I think having like gender as being a cultural element I think is still important because I think it it can begin to help people to understand and I think for a lot of people who aren't as well read in trans issues, I think having sex versus gender and getting beyond kind of the sexual biological determinism yeah. is actually a really helpful tool. So I guess that's yeah. where I come into it. And I would say that Rowling willfully ignores that 
Yeah. Yes. She's very interested as we saw with the uh, menstruation tweet. She's very interested in biological determinism in a way that is really problematic. One of the things I've been thinking about lately is how much our culture assumes is predetermined by biological sex, by like hormones and everything. And I, because I have been uh, doing a lot of D and D stuff lately, Mm -hmm. it's been helpful for me to think about this in terms of like building your character sheet. Yeah. So when you're building your character sheet, you get to choose like your race and your class and your mm-hmm. background. And-, oh, and we should say for listeners who are unfamiliar that by race in d and we are not referring right. to, are you black? Are you Latino? Are you, we're referring to things like, are you an elf? <laughs> are yeah. We, are, are you an yeah. orc? <laughs> are you a dragonborn? Yeah. Um, it's uh anyway, there, I just wanted there, to make that there, clear. There are like, they talk about sub races underneath that, which more aligns with like, are you a copper dragon born or are you a red dragon born? Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> so like the first thing you choose is your race and that determines so much of your characteristics. And yeah. it sometimes feels like people think that the first thing about you, the, the primary determining thing about a person is gender mm-hmm. or not gender, but like sex like your biological sex right and and I've been thinking about that a lot because in conversations with you in conversations with Elliot who uh if you missed our first episode with Elliot talking about our flag means death you should check it out yeah he's our he's our resident our flag means death expert and he will be coming back once the second season happens anyway please Uh, continue (laughs) Yeah. Or like, um, there is a kid that I know and hang out with sometimes who is trans and like watching him go through puberty. I've been thinking a lot about my own experience of sex and gender, even though I am very comfortable with my assigned sex at birth. And really, like, when I think about the things about me that kind of determine what I do and like and act in the world and like arrange my life Mm -hmm. gender is actually fairly low on the list sex is fairly low on the list Mm -hmm. and it's it's only recently occurred to me I guess that like most people don't think like that but I'm having that realization about a lot of things lately for me my biological experience of gender is is things like oh I guess I'm like at this point in my menstrual cycle and so I'm having like a low energy period Mm -hmm. rather than and it being like, I feel like this because I am a woman. Like, I don't think about myself as a woman first. Like, it's low on the, it's low on my list of identifiers, I guess. Right. And it seems like people like Rowling, they, it seems to like to them so much is predetermined by your sex. Right. And then maybe also by your gender. Mm-hmm. And it, I just, I don't know. I don't quite know how to wrap my head around that yet. Or at least it's helped me understand, I guess, where sometimes disconnects are happening in conversations that I'm having with others mm-hmm. be- because of like the <laughs> the like way that identifiers are ranked in terms of like how people understand themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I so I, I will say it, it is important to acknowledge that the JK Rowling has suffered pretty much extreme domestic abuse and mm-hmm. sexual assault mm-hmm. and 
she has said, and, and I, this is one thing that I find actually probably the most, I guess, something I empathize with the most and something that I think is probably the most true about her struggle with trans identity and with trans women mm-hmm. in particular is informed by her experience where from her perspective, she would not have experienced that degree of violence had she not had a vagina and (laughs) breasts and whatever, right? Like it seems to me that, and she's not wrong that violence against women is a massive ongoing worldwide problem, but she somehow misses the fact that like this is happening to trans women too. And also that the, the, the gender binary and the patriarchy has extremely negative effects on cis men, mm-hmm. right? And so it's on the one hand, I'm like, I've, I very much empathize with you as a victim. I, I think that's awful. And I wish that that mm-hmm. had never happened to you. I wish that it never happened to anyone. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think like it's coming from she, she's sharing a lot of like pseudoscience, but it's ultimately coming from a very deeply personal, emotional yeah. place. And I guess it's important to say that, but I, I like your point that like, uh, and the way you put it is interesting. I think too, for me, like gender and sex were not really among the first things and still aren't. Like, I feel like gender identity has become more important for me recently mm-hmm. in part because I'm like, no, nine non-binary people exist. They, them, like this yeah. feels better to me. This, this feels yeah. better in a lot of ways, but you know, basically as long as I wasn't menstruating, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking about it. Like to me, the, the whole binary gender system never made any sense. And particularly like the traits that people seem to associate with one or the other. Yes. Without thinking about the fact that like, if you are socialized your entire life for that trait to be a trait, then how do you disentangle that from the genitals you have, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I can see why people misconstrue the, construe those things together, but obviously it's like, well, no, right? Like that's not having a 2X chromosome and and lots of estrogen is not <laughs> yeah all right so one thing i've seen a lot in twitter and i and i struggle with twitter in my mental health in part because i think it is a space where people sort of say like i'm holier than thou because and with with harry potter a lot of it has become i'm holier than thou because i never liked it or i'm holier than thou because now i will never ever not only not buy official merchandise, but I won't even write fan fiction anymore or even read it because that gives it more attention. So that that's a take I've seen is people saying like, you shouldn't even do transformative works of Harry Potter anymore because it gives more notice and therefore more money automatically to JK Rowling. And I think, I think we should address that question. Do we think that transformative works made by fans for fans does give more money to the Warner Brothers, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter Industrial Complex. <laughs> it's not a thing I ever imagined calling an industrial complex before, but I'm going to stick it with is. it. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I I think I'm going to answer this question in two ways. First of all, I'm going to describe what has become my personal policy related to things like this mm-hmm. with the caveat that like this is my way of getting by. And yeah. then I'm going to describe what would be my like in a perfect world, this is what would happen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So personal policy, when there are things that I like that I discover have been made by problematic people, I make a choice to no longer purchase official merchandise. Mm -hmm. 
it's a, it's like, I don't want my money going to this thing. So um, an example of this would be Michael Jackson, Mm -hmm. kind of troubling. So I no longer listen to Michael Jackson songs via Spotify, because that would be putting money into his estate. And I don't want to do that. However, I am still more than willing to participate in fan culture. Yeah. And I understand the argument that this like contributes to the overall like influence and popularity and the industrial complex. But I don't want to like tell myself that I can't do things that I love doing. Yeah. The other thing is that, and this is getting into my like in an ideal scenario, I kind of love the idea that maybe the fans build up this idea, like in in making the fan fiction and the fan art and all of Mm -hmm. the stuff, build up this idea that the Harry Potter conglomerate is this hugely popular thing. And then Warner Brothers and JK and investors sink all of this money into like creating officially licensed stuff that then doesn't get bought. Yeah. By the fans because they have enough of their own like fan made cool stuff to engage with. That's more of a dream than a reality. Like I would love it if that would happen. I would love it if the new Hogwarts game that they released just like crashed and burned. And I honestly don't know how well it's been doing. Yeah, I think a lot of people who have been long-term fans who are also LGBTQ people or allies have basically decided, absolutely not. I'm not purchasing that game. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think that like there are situations where fans can have power. I think we've seen that with some of the recent stuff with Dungeons and Dragons wanting to change their license and the fan backlash that they Mm -hmm. experienced. Yeah. I don't trust that Hasbro is actually going to not stop being a capitalist enterprise that tries to make money. But I don't know. I just don't want to tell myself I can't, I can't engage with things that I love. And also I feel like the more fan stuff that gets made, the more we are telling Rowling that like, she doesn't own her own stuff anymore. Yeah. She put it out in the world and now we get to do what we want with it. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. So in terms of like copyright, and trademark. Copyright is always a really tricky thing because on the one hand, it's like, okay, someone has intellectual property and I do think they should be able to have some control over directly over that intellectual property. But copyright in my mind is more about protecting the author from larger corporations, like large presses, publishers, other things that could take over your intellectual property for their own gain without you benefiting at all. And I think that's really always what copyright should be about. Also, particularly in the US, but a lot of places, there are elements of fair use where you go in and you and you adjust and change the story. And if you're not making money on it, or I don't know, <laughs> even if you are a little bit, right, to help kind of like in a nonprofit manner, right, to help you continue to make the work that you make. I, you know, I that that's the thing we should be able to do. We should be able to respond to and change and reimagine texts in ways that add depth to them, that call question to them, that please us. I And, you know, making fan things is not at all taking any money away from JK Rowling's IP. And it's certainly nope. not taking anything away from the, the billions of dollars that Warner Brothers has raked in, as well as Bloomsbury and Scholastic on the books. I, I looked up 
Hogwarts Legacy sales, and mm-hmm. in its first five weeks, it's made eight hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, right. Oh, exactly. No, no. First two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> There's these things are not. It's like it's it's the same thing with like the Napster debate, right? Like where what musicians should have been mad at was not people using Napster. It was the the recording companies and the and the music companies taking most of their IP away from them and owning their IP separate from them, right? And therefore, that's the thing they should have been upset about. But so all of that is to say, I think for me, my approach is like, I personally will not buy books. I will not go see the movies. I will not purchase the games. I will not purchase official stuff anymore. I don't want money going to that complex. Mm-hmm. But in terms of people continuing to write fan fiction, make their own fan art, make things that they sell that are separate, I think that's something that we should con- continue to support. I think we should continue to support mm-hmm. fans being able to play with stuff that they love, make things for fellow fans. It's a space where people could and already are creating and, and have been creating, as we talked about last last episode, mm-hmm. a more inclusive space. There's many more stories with, with trans and non-binary folks that are Harry Potter focused in a number of ways that continue to expand the universe in a way that JK Rowling never could. Yeah. And I think two things. One, I don't think it's I don't think it's worthwhile to deny yourself something that you love because you think it might possibly give money because Rowling's gonna, Rowling's pocket is going to be full of money. I don't know what else to tell you, yeah. right? Like that, yeah. that that's a thing that that is going to continue to happen for a long while to come, right? You know, yeah. the capitalism is good at capitalizing. All right. That's just the way it is. So I don't want to say that. I also don't, I, I think it's a universe that when, and, and any fandom really, when we play with it and expand it and change it, for the better. I think that's a thing to celebrate. I think it really personally, especially if you have, if you, if you say that trans people are important to you and LGBTQ people are, are important to you, definitely don't buy new Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. You know, pick it up at the library or something. There's places to get access to things that don't require spending money on them if you want to engage in the original texts. But don't shit on fans, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't shit on fans. Don't shit on the stuff that they love or want to make. Some of it's problematic and we We've talked about that. I'm happy to call things out as problematic. That's also part of, I think, good fandom community is being able to be like, hold on, like, let's have a discussion about doing these things better in a more inclusive ways. But I think people should still be allowed to and should still be fine with making things and and buying fan made things. I don't I I personally just don't think that that's that's a world we want to build where you just have to like suddenly everything's cut off and you have to find something else. I don't think that's productive either. Out of curiosity. Yeah. Do you know what your your last officially licensed Harry Potter purchase was? I do know that. My last officially licensed... Uh, no, I didn't buy it for myself. My last officially licensed Harry Potter thing that I bought was a Ravenclaw mug at the little Harry Potter store at King's Cross Station as I was coming back from... No, I was going up to York to... Uh, be a keynote speaker on ethics and doing 
fan research. And I stopped by because it's right there. I didn't get in the line to take the picture because it was a bajillion miles long. And I I, yeah. didn't, I, I, I bought I, I bought a, a mug there and that would have been in 2018, the spring of 2018, which was before all these tweets came out. But yeah. certainly, you know, there was stuff that was problematic before then that I was aware of. But that's the last time I bought yeah. anything official in terms of items. I did go see the first Grindelwald movie, Fantastic Beast, not Grindelwald, whatever. The first Fantastic yeah. Beast movie, which... I really love Newt Scamander. Yeah, I did. I think I did see the second movie, and after that, I was like, "Fuck this <laughs> yeah. franchise! I couldn't handle it." I but think I watched Fantastic Beasts on an airplane. That I think airplanes are great places to watch movies you would never otherwise choose yeah. to go see. Yeah. <laughs> My last licensed purchase, I think, was also. It was 2017 or 2018, and I was doing my very first NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, and I had decided to do a piece of Draco Malfoy-focused fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I bought a Slytherin mug for to, to have tea in while I was writing to try to get me into a, like... Slytherin mindset and I still have days where I'm like getting up to work and I'm like I need to be especially protective of my own time and energy and resources today I'm going for the Slytherin mug yeah I love that see these things don't have to be bad also that one purchase of a mug was a drop in the bucket again Piddly drop in the bucket. I, I do want to say that I do think boycott can be really effective and that boycotting mm-hmm. any of the official merchandise is important. Yep. Let's return to our question now. Now that yeah. we've, we've looked at this, the question we ended on last episode was what do we mean by fan? How do we feel about that now? How do you feel, Stephanie? Well, I'm glad we we talked about the question of like capitalism and fandom because mm-hmm. I I spend too much time thinking about capitalism in general. I think <laughs> one of the things that I've been thinking about over this, you know, the the days in between our recording is caring about something enough to be mad when you find out the creator is a bad person. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that this is like, sometimes when you're an academic, like we are, and you spend a lot of time critiquing things and pointing out problems with things, people start to assume that you hate everything. (laughs) It's like, no, it's because I actually love these things so much. Yeah. I want them to be better. There are plenty of other problematic things in the world that I don't waste a whole lot of time and energy thinking about. Yeah. Because I just don't care about them that much. And so I, I wonder if maybe like, to me at least, the idea of like, when I know I'm a fan of something is when I care enough about it to like actually deal with the problematic stuff. And like, I think part of the desire to create fan works is to try to do something different or better than, than what we have. So I, that would be my revisited answer, I guess. I love that. Yeah. I think I, I actually talked a lot about how I had become very disappointed. So I think part of fandom that I was getting at in that answer. And I I think I'll say now fandom can be and often is lifelong. And Mm -hmm. so then your relationship to your emotional relationship to a a text or set of texts changes over your lifetime, depending on where you're at in your life, depending on how you're feeling that at that particular time, what you're focusing on and what you find out about the creators of your favorite thing, right? So I think we're seeing that here, right? Lifelong fandom will 
mean ups and downs in your relationship with something. And in this case, it's, uh, I think it's twofold. One, it's the extreme disappointment in Mm -hmm. JK Rowling doing these things and saying these things. But it's Mm -hmm. also, I think, an element of reckoning with yourself in terms of like, at least for me, it is just asking the question, can I still like this anymore? Yeah. Why or why not? And kind of reckoning with like, can I can I square my love for the art and ignore the intentions of the artist? Right. I think that's that's actually quite a long standing question. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think it just depends on how much material harm that artist causes. And I think JK Rowling is causing very real material harm, which is why Mm -hmm. I argue for boycotting her stuff, because that's really the only language we have under capitalism to respond to that. That's also why I think that basically taking ownership of that in a fan way and and turning it into what we want it to is also a, a, it's a resistance against capitalism and it's a resistance against that author's intent by making, making it our own. Yeah. There's also always the complication that intent also doesn't necessarily have anything to do with harm or not. And I think that's an important question, Mm -hmm. but I, I think my, my revisiting of the word fan is that I think fan is always going to be maybe a troubled identity because you're going to have your falling in love period. That's what I'm having with our flag means death. I just started a, a specific our flag means death Twitter space where I can just read all of the stories and, and retweet to my heart's content. Yay. And uh, it's wonderful. And at some point there may come a stage where David Jenkins or someone else does something awful and then I'll have to deal with it or it won't or I'll get tired or or bored with it or or none of that will happen. It'll just be less of a Mm -hmm. less of an intense falling in love stage. Who knows? But I think that's the other thing about being a fan is that it's complicated Mm -hmm. and you you don't have to do these weird holier than thou moments. You can just say this is something I really loved and now I'm I'm going through a reckoning with myself and I'll figure out what that means. Yeah. So the moral of the story is to not go on to Twitter and shit on everyone else <laughs> for not being yeah. as good as you. <laughs> uh, um, but oh, also don't world. go on to Twitter as a famous person and say you support trans people, but then don't actually get to know any trans people or do any research. Don't do that either. Yeah. Maybe just like don't be a famous person. Yeah. Fame is really bad for you, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, you can you can either not go on Twitter or you can not be a famous person. As long as you choose one, you should be okay. <laughs> or you can choose both, like yeah. me. Yeah, there you go. I yeah, the only thing I like about Twitter right now is the Our Flag Means Death fandom. So that's the only thing keeping me on Twitter at the moment. Uh, yeah. If, if if my love of that ever changes, I will leave Twitter because it is a hellscape. All right. Well, that's our that's part two of that Wizarding Woo! Boarding School series. And yeah, the um we've decided that you are either allowed to be famous or use Twitter, but you can't do both. That's our can't takeaway. do both. Yep. <laughs> Thank you again, everyone, for listening. We'll be back again soon. Catch you later. Bye, y'all.